core value we're looking at today as the last one is this value on missions and church planting. And so we want to be used by God in this community, in the surrounding areas, to, to be used by him as he grows his kingdom. And that's something that is of great importance to us. And when we sat down, we thought, all right, right from the beginning, we want to make sure that the expansion of the kingdom is something that we value so that going forward, we want to be a church that's supporting missionaries and supporting church plants uh, in other areas of Kansas. Beyond that, if God calls us to. And so we're going to be looking at a, a bit of that today. Uh, because that's something we see to be in the will of God that he is doing. And so we want to be people who are willing to travel, willing to give financially for these needs. You remember years ago there was those pictures that were real trendy for a while. They were made up of a number of little bitty pictures. And the idea was you had to get close enough, or maybe it was shapes, you had to get close enough and you'd start to step back and you'd mess with it and you'd twist your eyes and your head all around trying to see what the image was. And the end result when it worked was you'd see this 3D image. And when you saw it, you saw it. It was beautiful as you begin to step back. You know, that's one of the ways we're going to be looking at things today. I believe that the primary way that we ought to preach the text of Scripture is to dig into it, to expound it, to take a text and take it apart and look at all the details as though we're looking at it under a, a microscope. But I also believe that there are, are moments when it's beneficial for the people of God to step back from the detail of this crucial mosaic and to see the big picture, to see what God is doing from a, a wide angle, and then, then to lean in and focus in on the detail again. Today's one of those moments. It's kind of like those pictures made up of the smaller things where we're going to step back in, in such a way that I'm hoping that you're going to see a, a wide-angle picture of what God is doing in redemptive history, and, and then we're going to lean back in, and we're going to look in a little more detail at a text in John and really ex expound that just a bit. So I want you to see this with your own eyes. In your bulletin, you're going to see there's a list of Scripture. I didn't print them out, and that should make it a little easier for you to follow along, but I want you to see this with your own eyes. I want you to follow along and see that God's word indeed says the very things we're going to look at here. And so my goal is to, to show you what God is doing, again, from this wide angle, to show you and then to look at how it plays out in our lives. So we're going to start with Genesis 12, first book of the Bible, Genesis 12, the first three verses. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All humans are created in the image of God. And yet here we see God come to Abram with this unique blessing, he, with this particular calling on his life for him particularly. Sometimes we forget that Abram was just one human on a giant planet being told by God that he had this unique role to play in redemptive history. Oh, what a strange thing to hear from God. That God will not only bless Abraham and not just bless Abraham's family but something far beyond that. He tells Abraham that he's going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's a big deal. And yet how God will bless the nations is a great mystery to Abram. I want you to turn a few pages to Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18. Just a few pages to your right. Verses 17 and 18 says, I will surely bless you 
And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God's plan is to bless the nations of the earth through the children of Abraham. I want you to turn just a few more pages. I told you we're going to go through these pretty quick. Chapter 26, verse 4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Again, we're seeing that God is working something wonderful in the world. And he says it again. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through your descendants. Now I want you to make a big jump all the way over to Isaiah. This one's a little tougher to find. All the way over to Isaiah chapter 49. When we look at verse 6, Isaiah 49, verse 6, God is speaking here, and he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God is saying here that it is simply too small a thing to focus on the tribes of Jacob or Israel. And so what we see even way back here, way back then, is that God's plan of salvation is to extend to the ends of the earth. This is no small thing. You know, it'd be easy for the people of God to want God to bless them only, right? Or to bless only their nation or only, only their neighborhood or only their family. And so I don't want you to miss the statement that God is making here. He's saying, I'm not just the God of Israel. I am the God of the whole world. I will redeem my people from every corner of the world. Now I want to look real quickly at Habakkuk 2.14. This was actually the verse of my seminary, the seminary I graduated, Westminster. This was their theme verse, and you'll see why real quick. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you read it too quick, you, you kind of missed something there. Because it didn't say that the glory of God will, will cover the earth like water covers the earth. Because if that were the case, it would only be about, what, 70%? What it says is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. What's that percentage? A little higher, right? Well, 100%. It's kind of a trick statement, but it's 100%. Uh, do you see here that God's glory will be known? God will be a blessing to the nations. And so let's turn to the New Testament then. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at something here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A little genealogy, because I know how much you love genealogy. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see the connection there. This is those things that are easy to just read over because you're trying to get through these genealogies. If you look at the text, you're seeing that Jesus is the son of Abraham. He is called a descendant here. He is a descendant. There are roughly 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. Children were born, and they grew up, and they had children, until eventually we get to Mary, who gives birth to Jesus. Why is this significant? It's significant because Jesus is the one through whom he will bless the nations. 
This is what they've been looking forward to. This is what God's been talking about. This has been going on throughout history. And, and in Christ, you finally begin to see the way God's going to do this. And so Jesus is born. He is to be the Savior, a blessing to the nation. And he grows up and he begins his public ministry. We know this, right? He calls his disciples. They follow him. He's put to death on the cross. And he's put to death as a criminal. All is lost. The disciples scatter. Everyone panics. And then they see and they talk to and they touch the resurrected Jesus Christ. And this is one of those important things in the history of the world. Jesus' death and resurrection is a blessing to the nations. To you and I who are living 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, what this means is forgiveness of sin. And it gives direction to our lives today in a way that sometimes we just don't quite get. I want you to turn to Matthew 28, the very other end of this book, of this gospel. Matthew 28, 16 and 19. We looked at this in some detail a few weeks ago. We'll look at it a little quicker today. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you notice the scope of this statement? He said to make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. Remember when God said a couple of thousand years earlier that he would bless the nations of the earth? Here it is. And he could have wrote the message in the sky, right? But he chose instead to give the amazing task of evangelism to his people. And he says, go. Well, here we are. This is where God has taken us. He's planted you in the city of Manhattan or wherever you live. And God has redeemed you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christian, you who were not Israel have been blessed to know Christ as Savior. The message that you have received went out from that mountaintop in Galilee. And it passed through families and countries and people of all sorts and in various times before it came to you and God opened your eyes to believe it. It's like a giant game of telephone bringing the good news of salvation. I mean, how amazing is that that you realize that this message can be connected all the way back in those years, all the way back across great distances. I want you to look at Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 46, says this, 46 and 47. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I mean, that's the message of the gospel, repentance and forgiveness of sin as we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And again, from Jerusalem to where? To all nations. So we're going to look real quick. Acts 14, verse 23. It's like Bible drill. Acts 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. It's talking about the church there. Uh, the church is how God's going to gather his people we're told they appointed elders. They established God-ordained churches. And we see all throughout the book of Acts that 
these churches grow as the word of the gospel is proclaimed to the surrounding people. It's not just lone rangers or appointed evangelists or a special few. It's the church, the people of, of God in these established churches. Manhattan Prez is one of those churches. God willing, people are growing in, in their faith. And we want to be a blessing to the nation through supporting of church plants and, and a blessing to our neighbors in all sorts of ways. Okay, so we've skimmed through these texts, and my goal through this is just to be able to show you the way that God is, is working in history to bring salvation, not just to Israel, but to, to the elect of every nation. I hope you've seen this, and I hope that you see that you're not just a spectator in this. I mean, we are spectators in this because God causes growth, but his people, me and you, sitting here this afternoon, whose faith is in Christ, we are planters, and we are waterers, and we are sowers and reapers. We are farmers and men. And like all farmers, we should be working hard to plant and to water and to pray for growth and, and to harvest when God has given growth. So before we look at our main passage, I, I want to set it up for you a little bit. It's smashed right in the middle of the story about the Samaritan woman at the well. If you remember, the disciples go into the village to get food. They come to this place and they're hungry and they go into this village to get food. And the woman comes out of the village to get water and it's just Jesus there. And he's sitting at, uh, at the well and Jesus begins this conversation with her. You know, one of those evangelistic conversations you know, this is really the place where I almost think, why didn't he go with the Kennedy questions? You know, ma'am, if you were to die today, what percentage? Something along those lines. And one of the amazing things we see is the way that Jesus just begins this conversation with us. The great statement that he makes is just to ask her for a drink of water. Not the first thing you think of for evangelism. They speak of proper worship. This conversation goes on and he confronts sin in her life. By the end of the conversation, she has knowledge of salvation. Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah that they have been hoping for, waiting for. Meanwhile, the disciples are, are coming out, right? And they return with food. And this woman is so excited about what she's heard. She's just heard that there is forgiveness for sin. And she is so excited that she forgets her water jar. And she runs back into the village to tell everyone about this man. People, of course, hear from the woman. And they head out of the city now to go see Jesus, to meet this man she's talking about. And as they're on their way out, our text picks up. John 4, turn over there with me. John chapter 4, verses 35 through 38. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Uh, Jesus gives a quick rundown on the working of, of crops. I grew up in a city, so this is all, all you know, good information. Planting. There's planting. And then typically, from what it looks like here, four months, and, and then it's harvest time. That's typically the way it goes. And then Jesus takes this idea of planting and harvesting, and he applies it to, to kingdom work and evangelism. He says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, remember, they're outside the village. This is where crops are grown, right? The townspeople have just heard the testimony of the woman uh, at the well. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know they're coming out, right? 
And meanwhile, the disciples are, are busy trying to figure out, you know, one of those dumb things. You know, where did Jesus get food? He said he has food. Uh, who, who gave him food? And, and they're busy dealing with these things that are just in front of them. And, and then Jesus says to them, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Try to get yourself in that moment, in that place, and realize when they lifted up their eyes, what did they see? They saw a crowd of people walking out of a village who have just heard the testimony of, about Jesus coming their way. The time of harvest is, is here. And he says the sower and the reaper rejoice together. Remember, the sower is the one who plants. And there's much time of growing. And, and then the reaper is the one who goes and, and actually picks the crop. As Jesus then uses farming as a kingdom illustration, he is pointing out that at least in this case, the time between planting or sowing and reaping is very little. Now, I want to point out a few things about this text that I think are good points of application for us. Number one, God and God alone causes growth. But there is kingdom work of sowing and, and reaping. And we can and we should be supporting and doing this. In the Gospel of John, we see that the, the sowing work was done by John the Baptist early on, and it was done by the disciples. And immediately to the passage we just looked at, it's done by the Samaritan woman. And so we see this planting, and they're showing the value of Christ in each of these situations by doing something very simple, the value in Christ. Consider 2 Corinthians 5.20. You don't need to turn, I'll, I'll just read it to you. This verse is it's just it's beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Let this sink in. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God making his appeal through us. Is your life set up so that you are in a position to implore, to appeal, to encourage others to be reconciled to God? Not necessarily or ideally even in a bold-faced come-to-Jesus kind of conversation, but more like when you go out to eat with a friend and they're going on and on about how amazing what they're eating is. But eventually you just want to taste what they have. Let me try it. Stop talking about it. That's the way we want to see in our own lives that we're valuing Christ. That's sowing. That is planting. That must have happened when the Samaritan woman returned to the village after speaking to Jesus. And really, she should encourage us, and here's why. Often we think that to be used by God for evangelism, that we need to be trained. We need, we need tracts, and we need cubes and we need the right questions, and a memorized gospel presentation. And until we've been through seven courses, we probably shouldn't say anything about Jesus to anyone. It's that idea that we have to know everything about Scripture and theology before we can be a witness to others. And so... This is the Samaritan woman, though. The Samaritan woman goes and sows to the people of her village a mere moments after believing herself. No training, no deeper knowledge, no track in hand, no presentation, no seminary degree, just a changed heart, just unblinded eyes, and a love for her Savior. And she's not the only situation. The Apostle Paul had a similar situation in his life. He'd been a believer, but a few days before he was standing in the synagogue proclaiming Jesus is the Savior. And more important, that Jesus was his Savior. The second thing I want you to gather from this text is that there is sowing and there is reaping, and both are valuable. At any moment, 
you may be called to sow or to reap. A heart for the lost does not mean that you push the gospel on someone at every given moment. I struggle with this idea, some of I'm honest. I, it's still to this day, uh, last year, last spring, when we were still living in Kansas City, I went on a, a bicycle ride, and at the end of the trail there, sitting on a picnic table, was a 58-year-old man who had ridden over, tw- over 20 miles to get there. Yeah, at the time, I'd been actually dwelling on one of these texts and, and thinking through what evangelism and church planting is and missions look like, just looking forward to the time when we'd be going to Manhattan. And I began to, to speak to God in my head, just, just praying to Him. I'm saying, God, is this going to be one of those great evangelism stories that I get to use in a sermon where I proclaim the gospel and this guy comes to faith? And, you know, I, I'm thinking this, and I have no idea what God's going to do. And I stopped next to Him, and, and I just thought, you know, what's the greatest evangelistic question I could ask Him? And I, I went with, so is this the end of the trail? Brilliant, right? It, it wasn't much of a question. I, I think the surprising thing was that it actually built up and became an actual conversation. We talked and, and we shared that he lost his job recently. Uh, we talked about his son who had just graduated from K-State. And we talked about religion and the faith of his daughter. The insane amount of travel that his job had required of him. We talked and we talked and, and it was just a great time to slow down and have this conversation. And, uh, and I even got to share with him. I got to share about our, our coming to Manhattan and, and to be a part of a church plant and how scared we were, um, how we were trusting God to provide for our needs and the growth of the church and, and how we were just hoping to see God work. And I felt this weight on me as we talked and I wasn't sure where it came from, this, this sense that I had to lay out the gospel to him so that he could know forgiveness through Christ and this weight that if I didn't, I would walk away having failed in this opportunity. Like continue to pray as we went through this conversation and eventually the, the weight lifted as I became aware that this was not about reaping it was more about sowing it was more about this man meeting a self-professed Christian who was kind and who spoke openly about God and who showed genuine interest in him and his life and so before we departed I just told him you know I'll be praying that that God would provide you a, a new job that that allowed for a slower pace of life like you've been, you've been looking for. And I rode away knowing that, that God had brought me into his life for a reason, and that reason was, was sowing. It was planting. You know, there are times for sowing, and there are times for reaping. My encouragement is, is to rejoice at, at both opportunities. The point is this, Christian, be deliberate to be doing one or the other. For all the people that God brings into your life, the third thing I want you to walk away from this is, is this. Jesus sees their need of salvation, and, and he was compassionate. You and I may need a greater sense of compassion for those whose faith is not in Christ. Through various outlets, we were often reminded of the many people who are without food in this world, who are without clothing, without clean water, and we should have compassion on them and, and help them as far as we can. We really should, but... As those whose sin has been covered by the blood of Christ, may we never lose sight of the reality that there are people near and far whose condition is far worse, and eternally so. J.C. Ryle said, Have we relatives without Christ? Let us feel for them. Pray for them. Speak to the king about them. Strive to recommend the gospel to them. Have we neighbors without Christ? Let us labor in every way for their soul's salvation. 
And so missions and evangelism and church planning is a part of our vision at Manhattan Pres. And, and that means that we desire that to be a priority to all of us as individuals, as families, as a church. And so what do we do? How do we start structuring our life in such a way that God's work of redemption is a part of our daily intentions? So I'll give you a few things that are just personal points of application. One, lift up your eyes to see the opportunity for sowing and reaping. Do you see the people in your world that, that need to hear the gospel? Who are they? Look where God has you today and really consider that question. Friends, parents, children, relatives, co-workers, neighbors, on some sort of class with you, sports, fraternity, sorority, doctor, anyone that God has brought into your life, pray that God would show you them. Seriously, pray, God, lift up my eyes to see those around me who need you and ask for compassion for them. No matter how grumpy no matter how hard-hearted they might seem to the gospel, let us start there with the sphere of influence that God has us in. Two, begin with prayer. It can be a very scary thing to verbalize the gospel to someone who may look at you like you're an idiot. So the question is, do you need courage? Ask our Heavenly Father to give you courage to speak. Do you need opportunity to have a conversation with someone? Pray for it. Do you need the words to say, plead with God for them? Do you need love for others? Ask God to give you genuine love rather than just a sense of ought to. Uh, pray for Manhattan, for Kansas, for your neighborhood, for wherever it is you are, you, God has you right now. Number three, do not be afraid of the question you can't answer. Just tell what you do know. You do not need to have all the answers. In fact, you won't. That's okay. Do you know how you've been redeemed? Could you tell me if I ask you? Then you know enough to point someone to Christ. If you're worried about that, though, ask a friend or a family member today. You know, go home. Ask each other that awkward question. It'll be really weird. It really will. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? We don't ask this question very often to each other. The awkwardness will be well worth it. At the very end, you know, you'll, you'll be more confident talking about Christ. And so if that's a concern, do that. It's a good exercise. Number four, hospitality is a tool for evangelism and sowing. Have people over, eat food, board games, ask questions, answer questions, pray at meals. Uh, let them see where God stands in your life. You don't need to awkwardly pull out the evangel cube and go through the presentation every time someone comes to your house. In fact, don't. But have them over. Let these conversations begin to take place. Five, God does not send you into the world to condemn it but to redeem it as you point people to Christ. John 3.17 makes this clear. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. What I mean is, make redemption, make the forgiveness of sin, the love of God for His people, the need of a Savior, the mighty works of God in creation, anything of this nature, make those the topic of conversation, not their current behavior. Simply put, don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. Six, this worship service is in your tool chest. You may not realize it, but the gospel is presented every Sunday when we partake in the Lord's Supper. Hopefully it's presented more times than that. Sometimes the easiest way to evangelize is simply to invite others into your world, to invite people to join you here at worship, or if that's way too weird for them, just the social events, parties, and other gatherings we might have. 
Our central purpose for this gathering on Sundays, we've said it before, we always will stand by this, it's for the worship of God. That's why we meet. It's not primarily about evangelism. However, don't forget that sitting here and watching the people of God worship puts others in a position to hear the word of God and to hear it proclaimed, and that is a means of grace in their life. Seven, and this is the last one, I think it's important. When we talk about evangelism and, and missions and, and anything of, of an outreach-oriented nature, I think sometimes we, we push so strong that you could walk out of here not excited about the gospel, not excited about our Savior, but ashamed of your own reluctance to share the gospel. If that's you, if you're hesitant, if you're afraid, if you are struggling against embarrassment, let me remind you, your Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ died for that too. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to look back to John 4, 39. It's the very next verse that we just read a minute ago. See, the woman went to town and she spoke of her Savior. And then John 4.39 records this. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. See, Jesus stays a, a few days with the people there. And we're told just two verses beyond that. Many more believed because of his word. See, in that day... God changed all of eternity for a small village. He's doing the same work today. He's doing it all over the globe. Uh, Manhattan Presbyterian Church and, and this gathering for worship is a testimony to our mighty God who is still saving sinners. And my hope for us is that God would make us farmers of men. Uh, establishing Manhattan Press, supporting other church plants in our region, and supporting missionaries who are taking the gospel to faraway nations. And so let's be those who are planting, who are watering, who are harvesting while we watch with amazement the work that God is doing in redemption as he's growing faith in the hearts of men and women.